vedrai far valore amoroso, notte e giorno d'intorno girando, quelle belle turbanco e riposo, narcisetto e dolcino d'amore. This is Conducting Business. I'm Naomi Lewin. There are still hoops to be jumped through, but it looks like, as Monty Python would say, New York City Opera is not dead yet. Last week, the bankrupt company's board of directors voted to approve the sale of its remaining assets, minus the endowment, to a group headed by former City Opera board member Roy Niederhofer and Michael Capasso. Michael Capasso is general director of De Capo Opera Theater, which, after three decades on the city's opera scene, is in the process of winding down. Roy Niederhofer is the founder of R.G. Niederhofer Capital Management Incorporated. Both of them join us here today. Now, your group, NYCO Renaissance, is one of several suitors who have been angling to take over the city opera name and assets. What drew you to this in the first place? I watched the sad demise of city opera from an insider's chair as, as a member of the board And in October, when the company was forced to file for bankruptcy, I was hoping that we would have a white knight, someone that would come with a well-financed bid with artistic merit that could really bring back and restore this company that had uh, gone so far uh, away from where it had been. Eventually, I realized by the resounding absence of this that it probably was going to fall to me to do that, that a combination of business and financial leadership and artistic excellence were going to have to be a feature of any successful continuation plan that I might be able to make that happen. I was encouraged to do this by Michael Capasso. And why did you not do it before? It took more than just my willingness to be on the financial and business side. I needed a artistic counterpart, someone who could really develop a new model for how New York City Opera could succeed. And Michael, you were that guy? Yeah. I also looked at the uh, the demise of the City Opera with great sadness. It's a company that I always, all of my work was always very much in the model of what City Opera was in the past. And I grew up in this area and attended hundreds of performances at the City Opera throughout my life and had some very memorable times there. And I was able to watch what they were doing And it was always uh, sad for me to see such a well-financed operation go so wrong. And I, especially while while experiencing difficulty of my own, yet still managing to produce critically acclaimed work. And so when this happened, I called Roy and asked if he would help me get a meeting uh, where I could make a proposal to the attorneys of the bankrupt company where I thought I had a, a plan that perhaps would take the company out of bankruptcy. And it has since evolved to something different. But essentially, it's still the very core of the ideas that I had in October of last year are what what we're achieving right now. I understand that the assets you would be acquiring include City Opera's trademarks, web domain, mailing lists, and thrift shop. Now, what about (laughs) the big gorilla, the $5 million endowment? The endowment itself is a very, very complex asset, one that is encumbered by existing law. It's not something that you can necessarily sell to another organization in a bankruptcy. 
And this has become a, uh, an issue that the board, the existing city opera board, has spent enormous amounts of time on. For us, this is about bringing back New York City opera, not about the endowment. A $5 million endowment, though wonderful, doesn't really earn you that much in annual revenue compared to what it costs to put on a season of opera. And it's our view that if it falls our way, we certainly are continuing the mission of New York City Opera. That's the basis of our plan. If it doesn't, we absolutely will go onward, and it probably won't make a difference either way. New York City Opera has half a million dollars now still in outstanding debts. Could they be paid from the endowment so that the new company could just move forward quickly with a clean slate? So it's a complex legal question that we can't really answer, and I don't know that anyone knows. It would Something like that would really have to be worked out. All right. So what can you do with the assets you are acquiring? For us, the most important thing is having the name New York City Opera will allow us to revive this truly glorious tradition of opera that has persisted for 75 years and resulted in so much incredible art at affordable ticket prices, found stars up and down the opera world. Placido Domingo in 1966, Sam Raimi, Jose Carreras, the household names, and so far beyond this, you have already talked to Local 802 representing the orchestra musicians. What about AGMA, which represents the chorus? We have uh, had some negotiations with AGMA. Our intention is to continue speaking to AGMA. Our intention is to be an AGMA organization along with Local 802, who we have already have a, a memo of agreement with for a contract. Uh, Michael, like many companies, DeCampo Opera Theater had its share of financial troubles in recent years. And in, in 2013, you were actually involved in a lawsuit with the Musicians Union for pay that was due to them. Should city opera fans be worried about this? No, not at all. First of all, there are two. This is not DeCampo. This is the New York City Opera. This is a very different model, and it is a well-financed model with a very, very strong financial leadership led by Roy. And uh, my job here is to run the day-to-day -day operation of the company and make the artistic decisions, but not, I will not be in charge of the financial oversight. Nevertheless, although I had issues with, uh, with some bill paying in the past with DiCapo as a result of the economic downturn in 2008, our company never went bankrupt, unlike the 14 other professional companies in the United States. And the very organization that sued me is the very organization that we have been able to partner with in order to make this plan go forward. There is no acrimony between me and the Musicians Union at all. The debt is being serviced, and it will ultimately be paid in full. Now, some people might argue that this new venture would not really be New York City opera, but it would be more like a movie franchise where new actors step in for the sequel. What do you say to that? Well, that's not the case because... Everything we're doing is in the model of New York City Opera. Uh, we had a, a wonderful meeting with Maestro Julius Rudell before he passed away this past spring where we were able to share our plans, our artistic mission with him, and it was wholeheartedly endorsed by him. We are uh, aimed to include as much as possible some of the historic uh, members of the company who were able to 
make it what it was once upon a time, including the musicians. I think and of city other, opera. Any other? Well, I mean, Corey Ellison, for example, who was the longtime dramaturg, is is working with us. I speak to her on a daily basis, and we're working right now on putting together our gala for March 9th, which will celebrate the career of Maestro Rudel. I think of city opera as a family. And a family that uh, went through a great deal of dysfunction, but now we're inviting everybody back to Thanksgiving and we're trying to set it straight. There have been other entities interested in City Opera, Brooklyn Academy of Music, Purchase College, and also the architect slash lawyer Gene Kaufman. In fact, Kaufman has said that he's going to challenge your bid. What do you say to that? And how confident are you that you're going to get the gig? I think our plan is one that is very much congruent with the mission of New York City Opera. We based it on New York City Opera's historic experience and excellence. The bids that the other entities have placed, as I understand them, were for the most part a piece of the opera mission to perform a summer music festival at Purchase College, to use the endowment proceeds to support existing programming. But none of them said, as I understand it, we're going to rehire the orchestra, we want to rehire the chorus, we want to follow the precise mission statement of New York City Opera, we want to do it at Lincoln Center, we want to champion American singers, and as I've said, this is very much a revival of New York City Opera. So what kind of season do you envision for the revived City Opera? Is it going to be as big as the old City Opera one used to be? No, our goal is to uh, to begin modestly uh, within budget to perform four large-scale operas and two smaller-scale operas, six productions in a season, designed in such a way so that monthly, more or less, uh, throughout the course of a season, there is going to be city opera activity. Uh, we would like to revive the Vox series as well. As Vox our, being the new the, music The series. Vox uh, Contemporary Opera Lab series as well as... Uh, a very, very strong educational program. The plan that I outlined at the initially and is still we are on track with is a plan that gets us to the 75th anniversary year with 75 performances. Still far short of the over 200 that the company experienced once upon a time, but far greater than the 16 in the last final year of the, of the company. And it is very much a season that includes contemporary American work, Classic American work, always a very popular warhorse, if you will, production, and then perhaps a neglected work that needs attention. And that's all very much in the model of what City Opera did in the past and when they were so successful. And for the niche repertoire, the the unusual um, or the chamber works, we'll be able to perform them in a smaller venue as well where it's more cost-effective. And I know what can be done with certain amounts of funds. And, and having an opportunity like this to have a season funded with millions of dollars to produce opera, it's absolutely possible to do it. Where is this money going to come from? We've made tremendous progress already in raising the funds for our first season. There is incredible enthusiasm. When I tell people that we are going to bring back the New York City Opera. Jaws drop, smiles happen, and the enthusiasm will translate and has already translated into significant donations. We've already raised several million dollars, but obviously we need to raise more. So we plan to significantly expand our board. 
we plan to reach out to the strong supporters of City Opera in the in the past, not just at the ten and hundred thousand dollar level, but the people that would send in three hundred dollars, eight hundred dollars with their subscription every year. That would that would give us amounts that were significant to them, but when taken together among all the fans of, in New York City and beyond, represented a huge piece of what City Opera raised. Of course. In, in the, our first year, we'll have access to the foundations that have been very, very generous to City Opera in the past. And there alone, there were millions of dollars every year that came in, in revenue. So City Opera is, one, is an organization that has tremendous fundraising potential and already has engendered a lot of excitement from funders to date. Is it a huge loss that the old sets and costumes are now gone? Or were they, would they not? I guess because I'm going to ask, you're saying Lincoln Center where in Lincoln Center? Two very good questions. The first question, the, what happened to all the sets? What happened to all the costumes? The, the storage location and conditions were such that many of the old productions that City Opera did, which were, of course, designed for the State Theater, now known as the Coke Theater, were not the right size for the new venue that we're going to, to be at, the, the Rose Theater at Jazz at Lincoln Center. And the the restoration and upkeep of those was very, very expensive. So it wouldn't have surprised me if even if City Opera had not gone bankrupt, they might have liquidated the, the warehouse because it was costing, I think, something like a half a million dollars a year just to maintain the revival possibility. When you actually run the numbers, it turns out that a brand new production in perfect condition is not that much more expensive than restoring an old production, but there are other expenses you wouldn't think of, like cartage to and from the warehouse. When we actually ran the numbers, to have a brand new production turns out to be not that much more expensive, and you have then a brand new production. And I think we need to be smarter about you know where we store things and, and what we pay for rent and what will have a, an income-earning future for us and what is really a one-time, a one-time production. The venue that we've chosen that will be the site of our first uh, performance in March is the Rose Theater at Jazz at Lincoln Center. This theater is one that most people don't even know is there. It's in the Time Warner Center. It seats 1,100, and it has all the features of a fabulous middle-sized opera house, very much the same size as opera houses in Europe. It has a 65-person orchestra pit. It has broad wings. It has fly space. It has dressing rooms, and the acoustics are perfect. So if you get the gig, what is your time frame for getting this a season up and running? Well, we are, we're committed to a gala uh, on March 9th already, no, regardless of what happens. We will certainly plan a 15-16 season beginning in the fall of 15 and 16. It's possible that we could have programming that begins prior uh, as soon as this spring, depending on how things fall and, and how the legal process works itself out. But assuredly, it will be a 15-16 season. Well, we will continue to watch this. Thank you both very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Our guests have been Michael Capasso and Roy Niederhofer, part of a group hoping to buy and bring back New York City Opera. We reached out to the other suitors for City Opera, the Brooklyn Academy of Music, Purchase College, and Gene Kaufman, all of whom declined to comment on the upcoming sale. We did, however, reach one of the perceptive and opinionated observers of New York's opera scene. James Jordan is the editor of the website Parterre.com, and he covers opera for the New York Observer. He is with us on the line. 
So Michael Capasso and Roy Niederhofer are part of a group hoping to buy City Opera's name in bankruptcy court and start producing operas again. They have to get approval from a judge and they face possible challenges from other interested parties. What do you make of this effort? Well, I mean, no one will be happier than I if uh, New York City has another major opera company. We definitely need a company like the New York City Opera. I wonder... I'm looking at a um, prospectus that the uh, New York City Opera Renaissance put out about this about a year ago, and it it just seems a, a little bit like a pipe dream to me. Uh, they're they're looking at you know a, a large number of productions working in the the Rose Theater at Jazz at Lincoln Center and so forth, and it seems a little impractical to me. Why? The problem that New York City Opera had was that, A, it was spending a lot of money, and B, they didn't have much audience. And so these problems would tend to repeat themselves if you were going into a new opera company in a parallel to the New York City Opera. In other words, you'd have to spend a lot of money to produce opera. There's there's no way around that. And it's hard to build an audience for opera. It's hard to build a new audience for opera. So it seems that they would find themselves in the same situation that New York City Opera was in previously, which is that uh, they were spending $10 million, $15 million a year, and only bringing in maybe a couple of million dollars in ticket revenue, which means there's a large shortfall to be made up year after year after year as the audience builds. They say that they have a big plan in place. Well, I'm, I'm more power to them if they do it. I, I, I just can't quite understand how such a plan would work, especially in a situation when right now the Metropolitan Opera, again, is hurting for ticket sales. So I think that's beginning to have a bit of an uptick. But the Metropolitan Opera is still having trouble selling opera at the Met, which is a very recognizable brand name. And uh, the Metropolitan Opera is, I won't say hogging, but they're certainly gathering up a lot of donors. So it's, it's hard to imagine that there is enough money left over to fund another opera company. Again, I'm not the one who's crunching all these numbers, so it's a little hard for me to say. In terms of the people who are vying for the City Opera brand, do you think these folks are the right folks for the job if they get the gig? Do you think they can win over skeptics, including a judge? I know some of Michael Capasso's work from the Capo Opera, and this is going to be tough to say, but I question his taste level. I think what he was doing was very good for the Capo Opera, but it was very much on a very small scale and working, I think, with a lot of volunteer singers. Um, There's also, I believe, some history of late payments from uh, from his tenure at De Capo Opera. So I, I wonder both about sort of the administrative side and the artistic side. Again, you know, he's been doing this most of his life. So he is, he's certainly an experienced administrator and experienced impresario. I don't know whether he's in the best position to be doing an opera company that will be, you know, you have to admit it, it will be competing with the Met for audience. We did mention the lawsuit that Local 802 had brought against DeCapo Opera and also the fact that they have now signed on to the new plan for New York City Opera Renaissance when we interviewed Michael Capasso. So it does seem that the musicians are at least on board with this effort. 
I mean, you know, the, the, the thing about musicians is, you know, no matter how people decry unions, the first thing musicians want to do is to play music. And so they're definitely going to be in favor of something that gives them an opportunity to play music. So, again, that is a great idea. Uh, this is something I really want to work. Looking at it from here, I'm not quite sure how it will, but we will have to see how this continues. I believe they're planning first uh, a sort of a tribute concert. A big gala, in yes, in March. A gala. Do you think, despite the the competition with the Met, maybe the fact that this is a smaller venue on a smaller scale might be a draw and might cancel out the competition with the Met and that there is actually room for a smaller scale people's opera again in New York? Well, I can't help thinking that there is room for a smaller scale people's opera in New York because all the major cities of the world, uh, London, Vienna, Paris, and so forth, have that sort of two-theater system, the the Grand Opera House and the sort of the more comique or English National Opera or Folks Opera in, in Vienna. You know, they, they all have a larger house that's a big international house than a smaller house that's a more experimental house that uses singers from the area and uh, has maybe a more hip audience. So there's definitely a space for that in New York. The the fact that New York City Opera was able to survive for such a long time, for 50 years or however long it was, longer than that actually, shows that there is an audience there, or at least there should be an audience there. Thank you very much, James Jordan. It's great to talk to you again, Naomi. We've been speaking with James Jordan, editor of the opera website Parterre.com and a contributor to the New York Observer. Brian Weiss is our producer. I'm Naomi Lewin. Thanks for listening.